Tan tan tan. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 And dun, 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 Welcome to Witch Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we're galactic trailblazers as we shrewdly navigate our ships and negotiate deals to be the next leader in Moonrakers. Next up, we're power-hungry necromancers vying to become the most blasphemous as we lead our undead hordes through the Nexus Infernum. And lastly, we're savvy wranglers luring in the scariest beasts to display them at the fair on the Isle of Monsters. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. Hey, guys, let's game. And Mike Grenier. Yabba dabba doo. <laughs> it's not trademarked, I hope. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you owe him a nickel. Our first game up this week is Moonrakers, designed by Austin Harrison and Max Anderson, published by Ivy Games in 2020, number of players 1 to 5, ages 12 and up, playtime 60 to 120 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. Well, two things are certain if you go just by the box cover. You will be in a stylized version of space, and there will be stylized spaceships. Inside this simple but elegant box, you will discover an armory board, a dispatch board, five command terminals, which are like your playmats, 37 ship parts, 193 cards including actions, crew, objective, and contracts, four hazard dice, five player reference cards, five ship tokens, 40 metal credits, and a graphic novel. What? That's right. <laughs> and that's what's in the box. Well, before we set this review's thrusters to maximum, Evan, tell us how it's played. Moonrakers is a deck-building card game. Each player's deck consists of cards such as thrusters, shields, weapons, reactors, and crew to fulfill contract requirements. Each type of action card has additional effects such as drawing additional cards, taking additional actions, and protecting players from hazards encountered while attempting those contracts. Completing contracts earns a player prestige, which is victory points, and credits, money. On their turn, a player can ask for help from their allies. Now, communicating direct information about a player's hand of cards is forbidden. However, allies can offer suggestions about how they might be able to lend assistance with a particular contract. Allies negotiate who will receive the prestige, credit, and risk of hazards from contracts, but if you don't make your offers enticing enough, players may be tempted to betray you. Ooh, beware. A little bit of a backstab there. Gain special abilities by upgrading ships and hiring special crew members. They will be needed to complete the more difficult and rewarding contracts. The first player to 10 prestige wins and goes into the Moonraker Hall of Fame on the moon. <laughs> no, there's no Hall of Fame on the moon. Is there? We don't know. Have you been to the moon? Uh, no. I'll visit the Hall of Fame if there is one. Well, we didn't get to see the cool graphic novel because we played it on Tabletop Simulator. And you can see our in my mind, quite successful game. <laughs> Mikey mentioned it has an elegant box cover. What did you think of the graphics? 
I really like the stylized look to it. It has kind of um, a, a pastelish tone to the colors. I don't know if I'd call them pastel, but they're very specific and bold. They're kind of matte finished looking too, almost. They don't have an actual matte finish, but they look like they're kind of paint brushed on. The contrast between the informational color of the card, these parts you're reading to get your information, versus the background, it stands out, it pops. Mm-hmm. That's very nice. You don't have to search for things so so difficultly. Uh, it's right there for you. I loved everything about the graphics of this game. They were so simple. The symbology on the cards was so easy to read and very, very streamlined. It was slick. It really made understanding the game quick and easy. And had a future tech vibe to it, so that was nice as well. So we love the look of this game. How did it play? It's a basic deck-building game at its core. But it's nice to me that the victory point cards are not clogging up your deck. You just score them on your board and you keep on going. Another neat aspect is you get to try to do missions every turn, and they can get you two types of rewards, either prestige, which are your victory points, or credits, which lets you go shopping. Yeah. yeah. And those prestige points are hard-earned because the game only goes to 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not like you're getting five prestige points at a time, usually. you just one or two. The mechanics of this game reminded you of another game. The deck-building aspect of this game is very much like Dominion, where there's an action that gives you more actions, an action that lets you draw more cards. Mm-hmm. Except they added a little extra touch of damage, which sometimes you need to do damage to something to solve the problem. So it's, it's right. kind of like a third currency that's in addition to what Dominion offers. Yeah, because no problem can't be solved with a little more damage, right? <laughs> 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 bigger problem, bigger hammer. So this game has teamwork, quote unquote. Uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> On negotiating, which is great. Oh, the negotiating is so much fun. And the fantastic part of this is that You get right into the negotiating. It isn't ancillary at all. It is the core of this game. I think that's really where the heat is. I mean, most of the cards that come out, you need to negotiate with people to help you with because they're very difficult to do on your own. Some of them are easy and some of them are really big. And that's where you can kind of shoot for the moon. (laughs) If I were strategizing uh, for this game... I would say that you would want to complete the bigger missions together early. Get into those negotiations early when nobody's at risk of winning. And then later, save some of those smaller missions for yourself when no one wants to help you anymore because you're too close to winning. (laughs) Right. Try try to get the actual victory points out of the missions. But I I kind of think that getting the... um, uh, getting some of the extra cards and stuff from the missions is really critical too. Like even if you have to give away some of those victory points, having your deck being built up better might be a good strategy for that too. It's a nice base for negotiating because it's like, well, Celeste wants those victory points. Oh, sure, I'll, I'll let you have the lion share of victory points, but I want the card and a credit. This way I can build a better deck. That's what's so great about the negotiations here. It's not just for one thing. There's so many goodies on tap that you've got enough to interest two or even three allies to go with you. That's a good deal if you got three people feeling like they got an awesome deal. Especially if you actually have the best deal <laughs> for yourself <laughs> I mean, and they just don't know it. Yeah, at one point, uh, uh, people, I don't know if you guys are paying attention or, or not, but you gave Celeste a huge chunk of victory points. It was like two thirds of the way to victory for that one card just because you were so greedy with the money and the... Uh, and the extra cards that were available there. I couldn't pay attention. I was counting the money. (laughs) 
I was <laughs> counting the money, clean. and also I was figuring the odds of actually finishing it was slim to none. Yeah, no, I thought you guys were going to fail, too. That's why I was like, eh, I don't need to be involved in this because there's too much risk. But then yeah. Evan actually, since he didn't have any points yet anyway, decided he'll just take all the risk and uh, mm-hmm. because he had nothing to lose. And I don't know if that's a loophole. Take all the risk for half the money. So he thought he was doing well. And I was like, all right, I'll take some of the some of the victory points and yet more of the money. And I ended up having <laughs> one of them epic turns. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You guys did it, though. You pulled it off. That was awesome. Yeah. I don't know if that's a loophole. I mean, if you're if you can take all the risk because you're at zero, you're not getting anywhere. It just, so it's not really a loophole. It just, it's, I think, a nice catch-up mechanism. You don't go into the negatives. Well, it's kind of, I just thought it was weird that Evan could just beat his ship beat to death, and he didn't lose anything, but he still gets a reward for it. That's all. He didn't gain any victory points. No, he got money. Yeah, but all the money in the world isn't going to win you the game. Well, he could have got victory points, too, if he negotiated for them. He could have got anything he negotiated for and not lost anything. No, because if he had victory points, they would have been negated by the risk. I felt I needed the money more at the time. I grab all these dice at once. Yep. Sweet. You could drag a box Bring over it. This is so exciting. And then so roll. <gasps> wow. Wow. <laughs> what the? <laughs> seven damage. Seven <laughs> exploit, though. Holy Let's see. That ship, times that ship could get exploded for that. Yeah, Evan. you should be eliminated from the game for that. Evan, thank you very much. <laughs> hey, no problem. He sends his decoy ship. Four. We're okay. space besties. Space buddies. That, that's the thing about those hazard dies, because if you can't heal them, that's victory points you're losing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Precious, precious victory points. The, the most important part about this, I mean, the game mechanics notwithstanding, is that it keeps all players in the action all the time for every player's turn. That's the brass ring of games for me, mm-hmm. is, is if I have an interest in exactly what's going on at any given moment of the game, oh, you got me. And that, that's a well-designed game. And I like the last little touch of the objective cards, which are hidden, which are a little ways for you to get a victory point that other people don't know about. Yep, a little bit of custom victory points. I love that. It's always <laughs> nice to have a secret <laughs> agenda. Tucked under the edge of your board, just waiting to be revealed. I can reveal it. We play it on a Tabletop Simulator. I can reveal anything I want. <laughs> no, I locked it so you can't touch it. <laughs> you locked... You wait, What? <laughs> you locked your components? What? What are you accusing me of? As soon as I found out we could, I did too. It's all right. I still drew smiley faces in space, <laughs> yeah, so... Another strategy trick you can pull in this game is that when you don't have a good hand, you can help another player anyway for, and you don't even ask for any part of the reward. Cycle your cards, right? Yeah, you just cycle your, the cards that you use. And you mm-hmm. cycle your whole hand, actually, if you play cards during any turn. Yeah. If you have a crappy hand, you're just like, I'll, I'll give you all the help that I possibly can. I don't even need a reward. And then you just get to ditch your hand and get a new one. Right, and the, your deck is not very big. So keeping track of what's coming is pretty easy, mm-hmm. which is nice. If you know what you've got and you know what's still in there, you can make some really good calculated decisions on how and when to assist others in order to manipulate your own hand. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to Evan's love that there's really a lot for you to do on other people's turns. And the, the market in this game is more ascension style and everything that's on the market is changing from turn to turn. You can't now count on a particular type of card being always available. Like I'd buy a card from the market and then the new card that would flip in would be exactly the card I wished I had, which <laughs> happens all the time to me in Ascension. Buyer's too. remorse. Yeah. 
But none of the cards were actually bad. They all had pretty good usefulness, um, and I thought they were balanced well with their costs. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Moonrakers. Ed? Moonraker takes the familiar deck building mechanics and adds in the fun negotiating element. I also enjoy the space theme and the look and feel of this game, so I'll be digging this up for my next joyride in space. Evan? Moonrakers delivers. It keeps everyone in the game at all times, and that's a winner for me. Dig it up. Mike? Even though I had a little bit of bad luck when I played, that's not going to make me cast this fun little deck builder into the void, so dig it up. The real joy of this game is the fun negotiating, and all the elements in the game support that beautifully. It's extremely simple symbology, it's clear colors and markings, and the sleek motif all work together. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Moonrakers, come chat with us on Facebook and Discord, and subscribe on Instagram and YouTube to get all of our quite funny game picks and videos. Hey, Evan, Mike, Ed, what's going on with us these days? Celeste, let me remind you that Witch Game First streams live on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on our exclusive Twitch channel. Twitch, 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 Twitch. Twitch. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And we not only play a game that we will be reviewing in an upcoming Witch Game First episode, But while we're playing, we interact with the Twitch viewers. We play trivia games with the audience. And sometimes we have special surprises. Like game designers (laughs) popping up in the feed to tell us how to play the game correctly for once. (laughs) (laughs) Or we invite game designers on to to participate with us. And as usual, we've been dropping our videos on Instagram, all kinds of different stuff now. But for the last couple actual game days where we get together in person, we've been going live so you can see what Evan's pulling out of his box along with us, because we don't know what he's going to show us each time. He, he gets these games out of the ether that are just insane and old and weird, and he loves <laughs> to spring them on us. And we, <laughs> Sometimes literally. Yeah, literally spring them on us with that mouse. Swack, swack, swack. <laughs> swack. <laughs> if you didn't hear our swack review, please make sure you hear that one. That is hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, in other news, I'm going to be running my first Roll20 game, D&D game, yeah. this Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. We're doing Icewind Dale, which is one of the newer modules. And it's like 10 bucks. You can come see me and Celeste and hang out for a couple hours for some fierce, frosty fun. It's a cold environment. Just beware of that. Yes, yes. It's a wear jacket. Wear a jacket to the game, (laughs) for sure. We've got products coming out soon on Roll20, too. We're going to keep you updated on that. Ed, what's going on in other parts of the WGF? Celeste, you can come follow us on our Facebook page. We will be bringing out our longer form posts and integrating our talk about our games with Instagram. And please join our Discord server. We can chat with our fellow game explorers and get the latest scoops on what which game first is up to. You will be assimilated. <laughs> Discord does have a little bit of a Borg feel to it. Does it does feel Borgish. What, with all the bots going around? Don't mind the bots. <laughs> They're just here to help things out, right, Craig? <laughs> Craig Bot. He's not a Borg uh, assimilator. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. And if you'd like more podcasting content from us, we have a exclusive patron-only podcast that we do weekly called Bonus Points. points. If you want access to all those Bonus Point episodes and a few secret full Witch Game First episodes for patrons only, 
from uh, way back uh, in the day, and they were actually pretty funny episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were. Yeah. Just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today for just $3 a month. You get access to all that stuff and our private Discord patron-only channels. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, as always. Thank you. Our next game up this week is Nexus Infernum, designed by Deha, Petrus Vaznelis, and Adam Watts. Published by Archon Games in 2019, number of players 2 to 5, ages 14 and up, playtime 1 to 2 hours. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the spooky box? <laughs> what's in the box? On the cover of this box is an ominous grayscale skull emerging from the murky gray smoke. <laughs> I, I hear like a, bre- a half breathing I, and half screeching coming from the sound effects of this box. Oh, yeah. It, like a hellish scream. Like, ominous <laughs> grayscale skull emerging from the murky gray smoke. <laughs> there it is. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's the stuff. All right. <laughs> Inside, you'll find a foreboding book called The Rules of Necromancy. A game board, 88 demon cards, five necromancer playmats, 30 skeleton tokens with bases, 40 infernal pact tokens, 65 (laughs) blasphemy tokens, and five sets of 45 energy tokens. (laughs) I tried to summon all the different types of demons at once there for you. Okay, before we summon this review from the depths of our diabolical minds. <laughs> Evan, tell us how it's played. In Nexus Infernal. <laughs> Each player assumes the role of a power-hungry necromancer seeking to become the most blasphemous in the realm. Through command of their skeletal minions gathered in the Nexus, players will battle against one another in a struggle to control six portals and channel the energy that manifests within them. There are five different strains of Dark Arcana to channel, each denoted by their color, red, blue, green, black, and purple. You will summon your skeleton minions whose job it is to collect the Arcana. Collect them in sufficient quantities to unleash upgrades to your necromantic powers, such as enhancing your dice rolls or the ability to move more of your skeleton minions freely. With the release of these upgrades of power come blasphemy points. These are the keys to victory. Blasphemy points are also obtained by using your accumulated arcana to secure demons who can provide additional special enhancements. But beware, the other necromancers can command their skeleton minions to attack your skeleton minions in an attempt to reduce your power and steal your blasphemy points. The first player to achieve 13 blasphemy points wins the game. Death and victory together never, ever tasted so sweet. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) <laughs> a little sprinkle of death a little dash I think I hurt my throat hatred. there saying Nexus Infernum <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're not cut out for this demon life Evan no I guess not I don't have it in me yeah the cost of summoning yeah yeah such a diabolical rules reading <laughs> I loved every minute well of that. we got to play this live 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 in, in person, person. Yeah, we were together for the summoning. (laughs) Ed had to get in on it. Yeah. Small gatherings are still allowed in Connecticut, so we are not violating any rules by doing so. Yes, true, true, true. Just so you're aware. We got this game way back in the day. One of the old conventions from, gosh, gosh only knows. Was it? PAX Unplugged? Yeah. PAX Unplugged. Yeah. All right, PAX Unplugged. 
Um, and we got it from Archon Games. We love these guys. They are just about the nicest game designers we've ever met. Mm-hmm. Very cool dudes. You could tell they love their games too. Like they're so excited to like show them off to everybody. <laughs> and we love the other game we reviewed from them, Escaton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, actually. And I yeah. and this one carries through that design style. It has the same similar design style. They've definitely got a motif going on in that at that game company. Makes me wonder what the what's going on over there at Archon Game. They're very uh, grim dark going yeah, there. I know, right? <laughs> Do they need a vacation? <laughs> it's the usual office, you know, computers, desks, altars, candles. <laughs> sigils on the floor mm-hmm. you know stuff that's like that. right pentagrams the usual <laughs> mm-hmm. it's all the day research plastic forks spoons and daggers in mm-hmm. the cafeteria yeah i mean <laughs> yeah what are you gonna cut your apple with a spoon no <laughs> i think not well we love the art style but the art coloring mm. ed yeah i i finally thought the art style was very immersive but the Man, I had a hard time telling the difference between that blue and black there. Yeah. <laughs> and and just trying to figure out what the, the skeletal minions were. Just like, okay, that's that brown and that's a slightly darker brown. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. The minions were, each of us had our own minions and we each had our own color. They each had their own raggy cloak on. Uh, yeah. And they also had kind of slightly different look each. Like some of them had different weapons and different poses slightly too. That was kind of cool. They put a nice little touch there. The, the look of it is great. Just the colors were a little too muted. It's just the, put that you know, gray filter or whatever on it, and it <laughs> took too much of the color out. I thought the color choices, if I was just going by the, the colors trying to be ominous and spooky, they were great for that. But yeah, for as far as like an actual mechanical aspect of it, it's really hard to quickly reference what you're trying to reference. I would say the pips on the D4 was probably the trickiest one. Oh, yeah. They were the so blue tiny. and the, what was it? The blue and the green yeah. on the D4 was so similar. Oh, I would swear I rolled blue and green. And it's less than like, no, it's blue and blue. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I have to like, <laughs> we were squeeze. correcting colors all throughout the game. <laughs> <laughs> Double checking. Oh, man. And I looked at the, the prototype pieces and those were nice bright colors. Like, wow, kind of almost wish I had a prototype for the, for just for the, the energy markers. Speaking of the dice, there's a lot of dice to roll in this game. One of the most fun parts for me. What what do we roll dice for in this game? Just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, Movement. What type of energy comes out? Where you get to move to? What else? Attacks, defense. <laughs> summoning, right? You get to roll four or five times per your turn for each of your different actions. And I did enjoy that. I almost wish, wish each player had their own set of dice to roll. We were Yes. There's one main set of dice, the two four-sided dice with the colors on them, and the other action six-sided dice that was... That's it. And that's shared by every player every turn. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to have, have each of us had had our own set of that. Yeah. Yes, or at least two sets for the table or something. Mm-hmm. I like the fact, though, that it went really quickly through the turn. And like after I roll my last set of dice, I'm going to go shopping. So the next player can just pick up those first set of dice and, and start rolling and getting their turn going, too. While the turn time is relatively quickly, and like Mike said, you can overlap a little bit by because the last action is a player will go to the market to make their purchases while the next player can start rolling. 
I found that uh, to be a little bit tricky and uh, that you can kind of trip over the two players overlapping like that. You know, plus, I don't know that the game's really designed to, to, to do that, to accommodate that. So it was more of like we turned it into sort of a house rule for ourselves so that we could be more efficient with the time of the game rather than it being a feature. And I know Mike thought that the dice were, we relied a little too heavily on the dice in this game. Well, yeah, part of the problem was that the resources were only coming up a little bit at a time. And mm-hmm. to get those resources, you have to have your skeletons on the board to grab them. And you, you have to rely on your dice rolls to get those skeletons out there. But even if there's a pile of resources on a spot, I felt like there wasn't really, you didn't really have to fight over the resources. You just go there and don't be aggressive at all and just scoop up the resources. Fighting was not a requirement. Attacking opponents was is not a requirement of the rules. At the same time, it makes it difficult to win the game unless you do attack <laughs> other players, as it turns out. I went the pacifist route. I chose deliberately not to attack anyone during the course of the, of the game to see how it would turn out. And you can't generate enough, uh, enough blast for me to get there. Right. I think attacking is, is going to have to happen but ev- eventually, but it doesn't have to be related to getting resources. It can just be to grab somebody else's blasphemy points. If you really pay attention to the powers on your game board, almost every single one of them, and there are eight uh, powers that you can eventually reveal if you're willing mm-hmm. to pay and, and work toward them. Every single one of them manipulated your dice rolls in some way. And that's really where you take away the random element and start depending on your own plan, your own choices. See, for me, that felt more random to me because there wasn't enough resources on the board where you can say, I'm going to get these resources this turn and buy this guy that I need to fulfill my plan. I had to roll the resources, luckily, that I needed that turn and then go get them. Okay, who's brown? Who's this brown? Which brown? Dark okay, there's brown. 12. That's not, I'm not dark brown. I'm light You're brown. You're light brown. Are you dark brown, Evan? I'm red. Huh? You're red. I'm light okay, brown. You what? What's going He's on? He's dark I'm going to aggress. Oh, I didn't I, we had a pact. Yeah, it's over. I. <laughs> <laughs> the pact ended. All right. Um, it's over now. The pact is over. You're going to die. Um, so right. I roll these, and I need what? Can I roll in? Uh, yeah. Better? Uh, higher? Four is better. Four or uh, better. Destroy something. Four or better destroy something. Okay. Five. Four, four. Ooh, I killed two of your guys anyway. All right, so I just want to see what the hell aggression does. Yeah, okay, glad to be your Cool, and I don't have any... Oh, yeah, it's definitely not going to be a one-turn plan. It's got to be a multi-turn plan. I think it took me about four turns to get my first flip, but I really planned on it from the beginning, right, Evan, with my plan A? I planned Mm -hmm. on it from the beginning, and it took a long time. I kept my eyes on the prize, and once I flipped it... It was yep. such a great bonus for me bonus point. <laughs> that that actually mitigated my resource issues because I was able to just grab a wild every turn. Now, that's a big one. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 didn't, I didn't look at him beforehand. When I saw you doing that, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Another one I noticed, like Mikey went immediately for one of the big patrons you can get who give you special abilities yeah. uh, that are unique. And so Mikey seemed to be going for the big guy first. And I was just kind of like trying to grab up the small guy. And then I managed to grab like, Almost all of the first level powers, which was nice when I finally got there. Yeah, my plan was to get a, a few patrons, but I didn't. I wasn't paying attention to the rule that then one patron replaces the next patron. <laughs> so like the first one I got, I didn't want to just throw him away because he was worth three victory points, and he made me 
kill two skeletons for the price of one. So, you know, it was good, but I couldn't stack them. Okay, so one of the special powers you can unlock is a bonus to your attacking dice. However, we had a little bit of a maybe disagreement about (laughs) what that exactly meant in this game. Are the attacking dice the dice that the attacker rolls only? Or are attacking dice part of the attack round in which it encompasses both the attacking rolls and the defensive rolls you make? Yeah. That was not clearly stated in the rules, and we had some disagreement as to how to resolve that. Yeah, we were definitely split. Where I was was confident the defense dice were not meant to be included. And Mikey, I think, felt the opposite way. Yeah, because the only reason I was thinking it might be different, well, two reasons. One, it benefited me if it was different. Uh, <laughs> but uh but two no the I actual like your honesty <laughs> the actual reason i was thinking because there were other abilities that said the attacker like as in the person rolling the his dice to attack and the other one said attacking like attack dice or aggression so, dice aggression sorry aggression aggression dice. aggression so it was like yeah. attacker and aggression dice so i i thought you know it was hard to tell if they were trying to separate those things yeah two words uh, that are close but not the same is problematic in a rule set. But hey, you designers out there, when you listen to this, if you want to pop on our Discord and tell us the, the answer to our question, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'd <laughs> love sure. it, please. For sure. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Nexus Infernum. Mike? The mechanics were nice and simple to understand and you know, reminiscent of other games I've played. Um, the turns were quick. I think it's easy to teach somebody and all those check boxes for me. So I'm going to dig it up. Ed? I like the look of this game. The overly muted color distracted a bit along with its over-reliance and dice from my taste. I did enjoy playing this game, but I think I'd rather play Eschaton if I needed to serve the Dark One. <laughs> so I'll bury this one and feed it to the Dark Lord as I play Eschaton. <laughs> Evan? is pretty much a classic worker placement and resource gathering game. Despite the problems of the difficulty in the color palette, the ambiguity of a couple of the rules, the game works pretty well. And if the necromancy theme is your bag of bones, you'll enjoy it. Dig it up. Despite all the graphic design issues with this game and the limited mechanics, I still really enjoyed the art and the shopping, as well as rolling several different groupings of dice each turn. It kept my interest. I will dig it up. If you have thoughts about Nexus Infernum, come chat with us on Facebook and Discord and subscribe on Instagram and YouTube to see all our funny pics and vids. Our last game up this week is Isle of Monsters. Designed by Joshua DeBonis and Nicola Rosteski, published by Mayday Games in 2017, number of players 2 to 5, ages 10 and up, playtime 20 to 45 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in this box? On the cover of I Love Monsters, or Isle of Monsters, however they want you to pronounce it, Ah. your senses will be assaulted by a chaotic cacophony of strange bug-eyed monsters from land, sea, and air. Inside, you'll discover 40 monster cards, 45 food tokens made out of wood, 150 scare tokens. Did I scare you? Five outer island boards, one center island board, and five cage boards. And that's what's in the box. Before we tell you if this scare-happy game is terrific, or terrific, 
Evan, <laughs> tell us how it's played. Isle of Monsters is a set collection and resource gathering game. Players assume the role of monster wranglers attempting to gather the scariest team of monsters they can find in order to compete in the local scare fair. <laughs> I love that. Getting screams from the audience gets you acclaim, as does scaring the monsters owned by other players. Each round, players claim monsters and attempt to feed them their favorite foods to get the beasts ready for the scare fair. Each monster that's fully fed by the end of the round goes into that player's hand and participates in the scare fair. Each player chooses a single color of monster to play from their hand along with as many cards of that color as they wish. Once every player has chosen, the place cards are revealed simultaneously and the player with the highest scare total from their monster gets three scream points. Players can also get bonus scream points for scaring other players' monsters, or from having more monsters in hand than any other player. The player with the most screen points is declared the victor, and the title of Grand Protector of the Isle of Monsters is bestowed upon them. <laughs> the Scare Fair. I, love it. <laughs> I like the Scare, the scare fair. fair. Yeah, I kind of want to <laughs> go to the Scare Fair. What is that thing at um, that thing at uh, Six Flags used to be called? There was like some name for like their Halloween thing. Oh, uh, scream. Fright Night, Scream, Scream yes. Theme. Or, yeah. uh, <laughs> scream Theme. <laughs> Shocktober. Yeah, Shocktober. Yeah. <laughs> this would fit right in with that. Shocktober. Well, actually, I think it's a lot cuter than yeah. that, right? They're definitely mm-hmm. going for the adorable situation here. Oh, yeah. I got a kind of almost got like a Monsters Inc. kind of vibe from it. It is uh, kids, look at me type of box cover. But the components themselves, I was a little bit worried about. I mean, when we flipped them out, they're so simple looking. The art on them and the cardboard isn't particularly high quality. I was a little bit worried that this might be some kind of Walmart rush job game (laughs) that really wasn't going to have much to it. Uh, But it wasn't the case. it's, It's simple, not chintzy. Right. The artwork is good for the theme of this game because... It's lighthearted. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be all ages, obviously family-oriented. And you definitely get that feel, that you're attending more like an amusement park rather than some kind of, you know, festival gone wrong and turning into a horror show. (laughs) And I think the art conveys that correctly. So when they say scare, they just mean like roller coaster scare, not like, uh, you know... Fun scare, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh, nightmares the rest of my life scare. Yeah, nothing like that. (laughs) And it is a fight every single round. Oh, there's a battle royale every round. And you're playing out your monster, trying to get up on top, trying to predict who's going to be bitten the big monsters out first or second. And whether it's going to be a water monster or an earth monster, or maybe I'm going to fight water with fire. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Do they have like uh, any uh, abilities on the cards or just the kind of the number sets and the symbols? It's just a comparison of numbers. There's no like, uh, no special abilities or traits or. Um, um, there are three different kinds of monsters, earth, fire, and water. And they're kind of a rock, paper, scissors relationship in terms of scaring one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually fumbled those rules a little bit <laughs> as we played through the game because we couldn't quite remember what the... Well, 
the order was. In other words, fire monster scares a water monster, and you get a point for that. And a water monster scares an earth monster, and you get a point for no, that. No, the other way. The, the, uh, <laughs> the water monster scares the fire. So yeah. the symbology yeah. at the top of the card could have been better designed. Yeah. They could have put could've... those symbols right on that circular board in the middle at, with little arrows, like this one scares that one, this one scares that one, et cetera. Well, they do have an icon at the top. It's just whether, like, is it scared by that, or does it scare that? Yeah, I mean, like the, a little... I can argue for you. That's right. Yeah, I was just talking about something that actually had all three icons on it. So everybody could always reference it and say, this one scares that one, that one scares that one. Yeah, yeah. Something like that would have been helpful. I think my favorite part was accessing the food on the island because it was a little bit tricky. It is. You can't just go anywhere on the island and get the food you want. You actually have to get only the food that's close to your seated position. Mm -hmm. Like wherever you're sitting at the table... Evan and I have access to some of the same food. Ed and I have access to some of the same food. And Ed and Evan have access to a different set of food that I have no access to. Mm -hmm. So that part was really interesting. Mm -hmm. It was like, ooh, you know, there's two strawberries on the board. Evan could take the one with Ed, by, by Ed, or he could really mess me up and take the one between me and him. It also informed how you draft your monsters or which monsters you decide to go after because I'm not going to draft a monster. Yeah, I see there's food resources on the board, but if I can't get to those resources for that particular monster, there's no way I'm drafting that monster. And food comes out of return. That's another great thing. You get to pull food out of a pouch <laughs> or in our case, out of bago. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram videos about that. I yes, think. you can see yeah. bago uh, harassing Ed. Um, on Instagram. I like how you have to keep an eye on your neighbor with the food because it's like, ooh, I better grab that blueberry now before Celeste takes it. It's yeah. it's interesting that the, there's just like a big long board in between each player so you know like what two things you can access next to you. There's some on the central island and there's the, some on Everybody the has access to the island. Right. The central the island. To the circle in the middle. Aha. Uh -huh. It's like Seven Wonders. Yeah, it is a bit like Seven Wonders, yes. Yeah. I thoroughly like that notion. I thought it was quite immersive and went very well with the theme because I, I imagined I was this monster wrangler who just didn't have time to get to the other side of the island. <laughs> like, I am trying to get these monsters fed into the fair and hurry up about it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm uh, my player board is already like a caravan of cages getting ready to move. Or perhaps it's just cages that are already there at the fair on display, one or the other, but I'm in a hurry. Kind of a nice way to cut back on the analysis paralysis. And there's another balancing factor in it. Do I want to go for the big monster that's going to get me a lot of points, but I'm going to have to spend more time feeding it? Or do I want to get a small little guy so I can get somebody in the scare fair right away? Well, I tell you what, having those larger numbered monsters in the scare fair is a big deal. That's You really rack up the victory points or the scare points at that point. Well, yes, but it, the wonderful thing about when it comes time for the scaring is it's all hidden and you mm -hmm. reveal what cards you play as you go. So Ed might play three cards at once and I don't know he's going to play three cards and I might only choose to play one. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play my lowest card and give this to whoever has more. And then mm -hmm. Ed has gone ahead and wasted his big monsters on, <laughs> you know, little tiny doodads. Yeah. And then I come out with my mid-level monsters and they take the day. So it's really cool how it can change no matter whether you have just little monsters or not. You might end up with some good scare points anyway. Yeah, there's, that's a nice touch of strategy that's in there that keeps the game 
uh, very interesting, especially for, you know, those of us who are not children and, uh, you know, <laughs> who, who want a little more out of our game. That, that's really where the, the thinking comes in. I almost wish this game had higher quality components or something, just had a little bit more prestige feel to it, because I do think the mechanics are prestige level solid. Maybe if each monster were a mini with a base with their numbers and <laughs> stats, that would that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, it would only cost uh, $120 that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but minis, minis. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Isle of Monsters. Evan? Isle of Monsters was designed with families in mind. That's kids and adults. They can all enjoy it. It hits the mark. Dig it up. Ed? The game had fun art and it pleasant to play. It might not be the game that I pick up for myself, but if you have a family in mind, it's definitely worth digging up. Really, what more is there to say? The play was fast, fun, the mechanics were solid, and it was cute. Perfect for quick family gaming. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Isle of Monsters or anything <laughs> like that, <laughs> or, or if you have recurring nightmares and you just want to talk to somebody, we're here for you. Come chat with us on Facebook and Discord and subscribe on Instagram and YouTube for all the cute and scary pictures and videos. Tell us what monsters you've been wrangling. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. Come and chat with us. And if you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes of our patron-only podcast, Bonus Points. Bonus Points. For just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today and get access to dozens of episodes. If you get a chance, leave us a like or a review on any podcatcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. What's that new one I just saw? Who knows? Podtopia. There's so many. We could just start making up names. They would all be there. Podbean. Join our chat on our Discord (laughs) server. We are at which game first. Happy gaming, explorers. Let's go moonrake the Nexus Infernum on the Isle of Monsters. (laughs) Don't worry about those monsters I'm wrangling in our basement. Moonraker.